Amen. <coughs> Let's turn in our Bibles today to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We will at some stage return to our <coughs> expositions in 1 Peter. <coughs> We're going to start 1 Peter chapter 3. What for today and maybe for the next few weeks? We'll just look to the Lord for a message for our souls. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read from the verse 1. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 
For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And my subject today is simply entitled Treasure in Earthen Vessels. Now rather than seek to give an exposition of the opening verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have preached in isolated verses in the past, I'm going to jump straight in to the subject. Uh, Dr. Paisley used to say to us that the important thing is to give people the text, to give people the theme, and then tell them what they're going to do with the text. So that's a short introduction this morning. Here's the text, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Here's the theme, treasure in earthen vessels. Now there's three things I want us to learn from this text of Scripture. Here's the first thing. The identity... Of the treasure. Look at the first few words. But we have this treasure. We'll stop there. Note the people. We. The apostle is writing to the church at Corinth. He is addressing every believer in that assembly. And he includes himself. He says, but we have this treasure. Now here's one of the great things about the church of Jesus Christ. This is one of the great things about this local congregation. One of the great things about our denomination. One of the great things about every church that's true to the blood in the book. And we get asked, what is it? And here's the answer. But we have this treasure. Our church, in a sense, is poor financially. Our church at present uh, meets in this 2,200-year-old schoolhouse. Uh, We have few numbers. We've got empty seats. We've got problems and struggles in many areas. Some of you cope with illness. Some of those illnesses are serious. And yet I want to say this morning that the greatest thing about the church, either locally or denominationally, or or even globally, is its treasure. Note the possession here, but we have this treasure. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is untold wealth. What is this wealth? It's not the wealth of this world. We don't have vast amounts of gold or silver. We, We don't have art pieces worth millions of pounds or we don't have artifacts that are worth uh, maybe even into hundreds of millions we don't have a wealth of knowledge about this world how it all begun and how it continues to run Now, now it includes that but that's not the treasure a wealth of knowledge it's not even a wealth of experience every local church has a range of people different 
classes coming together, some of expertise in this field, some of expertise in another field. But the wealth of the church is not of this world, not silver and gold, not, not even of knowledge, and that's a wonderful thing, not, not even of experience. The wealth of the church is Christ. Oh, that we could see something of the greatness of Christ this morning. Now, when I went to school, um, they, they taught us sums. Um, fancy word now is arithmetic uh, and, or, or, or mathematics. Uh, and I, I have got a, an equation for you this morning. Christ plus nothing equals everything. You see, if you've got Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you've got everything you need for this life and the next life. We'll reverse the, equa the equation. Without Christ, plus everything that this world has to offer, you've got nothing. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and loseth his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, in the book of Galatians, Galatians 2 and 20, Paul talked about Christ liveth in me. In Colossians 1, he talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the Lord Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, indwells every believer. That's the miracle of regeneration. We are born of the Spirit. We're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Our bodies have become his temple. He resides within us. And that's a miracle that ought to blow our mind. Maybe if I illustrate it this way, in Matthew 13, you've got the story of the parable of the peril of great price. Here's a man and he's got a treasure. He's very wealthy. He discovers somehow, some way, there's a particular field in a geographical area. And in that field, there's one peril. And that peril is of infinite value. And you should sell everything you have to get that one peril. So he sells his treasure. And he buys the field and he finds the peril. And, and the parable teaches us this, that Christ is the peril. Christ is of infinite value. Now what about you this morning? Maybe you don't have this treasure today. Yes, you're a fine upstanding man or woman. Yes, you're a hard worker. Yes, you have goods laid by in store. You, you, you've, you've got your pension. You do good to your neighbor. But today, you're not a true Christian. You have no assurance that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Now, now I want you to understand this morning. Here is the great thing about the church of Jesus Christ. The church has got a treasure and it's not gold and silver. It's not even knowledge. It's not even experience. It's not even people. The treasure is ultimately Jesus Christ as he's revealed in the gospel. And it lives in us by the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. Revealed in the greatness of Christ. 
The great Jonathan Edwards, a preacher that saw revival sweep through New England and the United States in the 18th century awakening, he preached a number of sermons on this text of scripture. And uh, he spoke of Christ as the treasure in three levels or, or three areas. And he talked about the greatness of Christ being revealed in the glory of Christ. Look at verse 4, for example. It says, In whom the God of this world, that's the devil, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And what is the glory of Christ? It's the image of God. Jesus Christ is the image of God. He's the icon. He's the express image. Jesus Christ is, is God in the flesh. And when you think of Jesus Christ, think of the very heart and core of the message. Christ, the image of God. You see, he's not just a good man. He's not just a great man, not just a godly man. He's the God man. There's nine references in the New Testament where explicitly Jesus Christ is called God. And those nine references really in themselves are a, a, a sermon. I, I did a study one time uh, for some people in America uh, dealing with the deity of Christ. And um, when I discovered those nine references, I, I, um, it blew my mind away. Here's one of them. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Another of those references was 1 Timothy 3 and 16. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And of course the new modern versions seek to dilute the deity of Christ by removing some of those explicit places where he is called God. And you know, there's nothing beyond this. Jesus Christ is the visible embodiment of the glory of God because he's the image of God. That's glory. He's not only revealed in the glory of Christ, but he's revealed in the gospel of Christ. For verse 4 actually uses the terminology, the <laughs> glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God. You see, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is revealed in the gospel. The good news of his person and work. Jesus Christ is manifest. He didn't merely come in a blaze of glory. He didn't come without the cross work being central in his mind. Remember he said, wist you not I must be about my father's business. 
It was Martin Luther in this particular text of scripture that talked about the, the hidden glory of God being revealed in the cross of Christ. You see, it's the message of the cross. That's at the heart of the glorious gospel, the good news. Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, lived the sinless life, died an atoning death, rose again bodily, ascended uh, to the Father's right hand. The hymn writer could say in um, hymn number 302, uh, a, a hymn that oftentimes we sing, uh, written by um, Count Zinzendorf, Jesus thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress, midst flaming worlds and these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. You see, we needed a mediator through which we could approach God. We needed the forgiveness of our sins. We stood in need of cleansing. We needed a righteousness to cover us with which to approach God because we needed to be sinlessly perfect to, to be able to meet with and commune with God. And all that we needed, the mediator, forgiveness, cleansing, or righteousness, it's all provided in the gospel. I was telling the Bible class this morning the history of Geneva, the capital of Switzerland. You're probably well aware that uh, many, many centuries ago, the uh, Genevans, uh, they, they worshipped uh, the sun god. And they were, in essence, pagans. And then over time, as they sought what they called enlightenment and the gathering together of knowledge, they, they adopted this motto for Geneva. And this was their motto. After darkness, we hope for light. That was their motto for many, many hundreds of years. And then the Reformation came. John Calvin came. Then the glorious gospel of Christ was preached in Geneva. And the city fathers who got converted, many churches were opened. You know what they did? They changed the motto of the city. And to this day, if you go to Geneva, and I've never been there, would love to go at some stage, uh, though it's getting very expensive now to go to, to, to Switzerland, um, uh, given the, the changes that have been happening there uh, with the Swiss franc in relation to the euro. Um, they changed the motto, and this was their motto. After darkness, light. And what was the light? It was revealed in the glorious gospel of Christ. So here's the identity of the treasure. There's a picture building up. It's revealed in the greatness of Christ. Because he is the treasure. It's revealed in the glory of Christ. Because he's the very image of God. Who has come to earth. It's revealed in the gospel. Because the gospel provides all that we need. Do you know also it's revealed in the grace of God. Because you see. Many people hear the gospel preached. Many people can read the gospel story for themselves. They can meditate on the gospel, but, but still be as dark as midnight, still perishing in their, their sin. Uh, the gospel is veiled. They can't see it. They can't see the value of the treasure until they see it. Why can they not see it? 
The God of this world had blinded their eyes to the truth. <coughs> and what happens when someone sees the value of the treasure, the greatness of Christ, the glory of Christ, the gospel of Christ? Well, you've got the grace of Christ. You see, the grace of Christ deals with man's blindness. Deals with man's deafness. Deals with man's deafness. What happens? God turns the light on. The dead sinners awaken to his need of Christ. The, the blind sinner instantly begins to see it. Something happened. His heart was hard. His mind uh, was darkened. He, he, he had no thought or feeling of embracing the gospel. And now he's changed. What has brought about the change? The free, sovereign grace of God. God turns the light on. God speaks. God deals with the deadness, the blindness. And that individual then begins to see the value of the gospel. He sees the value of Christ. He sees the value of the grace of God. He sees how great Christ is. It was Charles Wesley who wrote the hymn. 263 in our hymn book. Long my prison spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed <coughs> thee. See, the treasure. Now, we have this treasure this morning. The treasure of the church is Jesus Christ, fully revealed in the gospel, received in us through the supernatural work of the Spirit. I know that we could see, when we, we think about turning our eyes on Jesus, when we think about seeing Jesus this morning, let's see the greatness of, Let's see his glory. Let's see the gospel. Let's see the grace of God. So I asked again. Is he your greatest possession today? Maybe you're here and you profess to be a disciple. But really you're, you're a secret one. Remember like Joseph of Arimathea. Nicodemus before the cross. They were secret disciples. After the cross, they were different men. They identified openly with the, the body of Christ. Over the next few weeks and months, you're going to hear the election slogan from certain um, political parties. And it's going to be this. Stand up and be counted. I was in a man's house on, uh, uh, I think it was Thursday. And we was sitting around lunchtime. And of course, we were getting a cup of tea. Uh, and um, then it come up, some of these election uh, slogans was, was put on the news. Stand up and be counted. And I said to the man, there's a wonderful title for a sermon. Stand up and be counted. And that's what we need to do for Jesus Christ in our day and generation. Uh, homosexuals talk about coming out. And of course I'm not endorsing the sin of Sodom. What, what a, a, an evil, wicked sin it is before God. But coming out, 
openly saying we're homosexual. No longer being closeted. No longer being bound and fettered. Coming out. And you know it's time that we in the church had a coming out and standing up and being counted for Christ and say, I, I belong to Christ. He's my greatest treasure. And you know what? When you think about Christ as your greatest treasure, surely that makes you smile. Surely that, that gives you a thrill. Surely you'd want to jump up and down for joy. Here's the value, the greatest worth that the church has. The treasure is Christ. Fully revealed in the gospel. And received in us through the supernatural work of the Spirit. Can you thank the Lord this morning? Thank the Lord for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me by your grace all this while. Thank you for being my greatest treasure. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me in so many ways. The identity of the treasure. Now notice something else. The indissolubility of the treasure. He says, but we have this treasure... In earthen vessels. Now, now what does that mean? When we read that in our Bible folks. What does that mean? Could I encourage you to. Maybe just write in the margin of your Bible there. If you would like to. Put the word pots of clay. I want you to think of treasure. Stored in pots. See what he's saying is. The people of God. We. We. Have this treasure in our bodies, and our bodies are like clay pots. He's saying the church is made up of clay pots. We're but vessels of big clay, and that's a fundamental reality. Now, now we're not we're not we're we're, we're not Tupperware, uh, and we're not a, a, a collection of fine bone china, uh, much to our surprise or maybe consternation, uh, and. Um, all we are is clay pots. Pots that are cheap. Pots that are common. Pots that are fragile. Pots that are easy broken. Pots that can be scrapped and sent to the one side. Pots that can be chipped and cracked. Pots that are dispensable and disposable. Common, fragile clay pots for ordinary use. I read recently about a woman who wrote to her pastor. She's from the United States of America. And she'd been in the church for 10 years. And she wrote a very, very long, long letter. And um, it may even come in the form of an email. It can be very long. And um, this letter said that she wasn't ungrateful for all that the church had done for her. Or for what the pastor had done in years that are past. But she wrote down a, a closing page, and she said this, and I quote, I can't do the church thing anymore. I have been hurt. I've been insulted. I'm unhappy. And I simply can't take it anymore. And I won't take it anymore. Let's be clear. People do get hurt in church. Even though the church... His greatest treasure is Christ. People do get hurt. People can become disappointed. 
disillusioned and discouraged. And let's be clear, because we're clay pots, keep that in mind, we do sin. And people who sin can be mistreated. That mistreatment can be real, it can be perceived. And people can be and will be unhappy. And let's be clear, there are ugly aspects to the life and witness of the church. People will be shocked. People will leave. And why is there the manifestation of sin in the church? Why is sometimes there unhappiness? Why is there hurt? Why do people leave? And here's the answer, folks. Now, now I, I have to confess, I've wrestled with this for a few weeks in my mind. The church is full of clay vessels. If you're saved this morning, that's what we are. (coughs) That's what I am. We are fragile. We are cracked, chipped, ordinary clay vessels. And of course, when he used the word earthen vessels, he was thinking maybe of the water pots. He was thinking maybe of the flower pots. He might have even been thinking of the chamber pots. You see, the human body is very frail. The human body is very fragile. The human body is prone to fainting. Doesn't the Bible say there is but a step between me and death? Every day, we're just a step away from death. And for eternity. And I want you to remember this. That the treasure is not. The clay pot. The treasure is simply stored in the pots. What an unlikely place to keep treasure. You, you, you would put it in a, in, a, in a safe. Or a safe deposit box or a bank. What an unlikely receptacle. Remember the glory belongs to the treasure not the pot God says my glory I will not give to another let's remember at best we're sea of sinners let's remember at best we're only sinners saved by the grace of God Oh, that we could grasp something of the nature of sin. Grasp the fact of our proneness to sin, the sinfulness of our hearts. Grasp the fact that we we need to be sinners in front of others. In other words, be ourselves. And, And have power to love one another. And power to extend grace. And when sin is manifested, take that as an opportunity to display the grace of God. And I'm certainly not going soft in sin or or rejecting the discipline of the church. But love covers a multitude of sins. You see, there's no room in the church for being pious. Pretending to be better than others. We need to be honest. We need to be transparent. Not to live a lie. Not to be a hypocrite. Lord, I'm just a weak sinner. And Lord, I need your grace again today and tomorrow. Lord, remember, I'm just a clay pot. There's no room for being proud. Pride cometh before a fall, the Bible tells us. 
the world doesn't revolve around us. We shouldn't be full of ourselves. You know, we, we could maybe adopt the attitude, well, well my pot's shiny, and my pot's shapely, better shaped than that other pot. And my pot's smart, a lot smarter than that other pot. Look at me. And how many people are in the church for, for what they can get out of it? Rather than what they can give. Isn't there a difference between being a servant and being a seeker? And how many come simply seeking, seeking things? What can I get out of it? Oh, I get nothing out of it. Therefore, I'll not go. I'll, I'll go somewhere else. It makes a lot of noise. Let's remember, when we begin to, to talk like that, what are we forgetting? We're forgetting that we're lumps of clay. That we're clay vessels who possess the greatest treasure. And there's an indissolubility between the treasure and the clay pot. Because, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Wouldn't a lot of carnality and a lot of bitterness and a lot of infighting and a lot of gossiping be dealt with if we could remember who we are? What we are before God. We're all clay pots. Lord that brother's a clay pot. That sister's a clay pot. And they need grace. And I need grace. Let's be real authentic clay pots. Because here's a platform for the displaying. Of the grace of God. In the application of the gospel. That brings glory to God. And shines the greatness of Christ forth. It's a platform for the fulfillment of God's plans and purposes. Because he says here that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. One final thing. Not only the, the identity of the treasure and the indissolubility of the treasure that is inextricably linked to the clay pot. But the importunity of the treasure. You see, I've, I've asked myself this question. Uh, and um, What is the purpose of a clay pot? We are familiar with clay pots, but what's their purpose? Some could be water pots, flower pots, chamber pots, whatever. But what's the purpose? But what does the pot need? It needs four things. And listen to me as we finish. It needs to be lifted. A clay pot can look nice on a shelf, but it's useless sitting on the shelf. It can't do anything of itself. It needs to be lifted. And we could sing this morning, love lifted me. Think of the, the, the everlasting love of God. The fullness of that love. Bearing down upon us to lift us from the pit of sin. To draw us to himself. The pot needs to be cleansed. Uh, before a pot could be used in the land of Israel. Uh, it, it was washed. If it was used for water, then it was rinsed out. If it was used for flour, it was rinsed out and dried. If it was the chamber pot, well, it needed again to be washed before it could be used. And once we've been lifted by the grace of God, then we are washed. Of course, we're washed in the precious blood. Also, the pot needs to be filled. Wasn't that the first miracle, the wedding 
uh, and Cana of Galilee. Six water pots were filled with water to the brim. And doesn't the Bible tell us in Ephesians 5 and 18, be filled with the Spirit. And, and you know that's what we need. Not only are we born of the Spirit and indwelt by the Spirit, but we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us, be filled. That is, be continually filled. We can come to God. And he tells us in Luke 11, and in the verse 13, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And when did you ever last ask for the help of the Holy Spirit? For a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I can't do this in my power and strength. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come and strengthen me by your Spirit. And here's another thing about the clay pots. They can be used. What if it's cracked? What if it's chipped? It's still is usable. <coughs> Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, I'm going through trials, Pastor. I could write a book about my life. Life's been difficult and hard for me. Can I say this morning, you're a perfect candidate for God. You're a perfect candidate for being used. Remember Gideon? Overcome the Midianites, 135,000 men, Gideon had just 300. And God said they were to put the lamps inside the clay pots. And then they were to go to the edge of the camp, surround the camp of the Midianites. And they were to break the pots. And then let the light shine. Gideon, you need to break the pots. And how are we going to shine for him? Unless we realize we are cracked unless we realize we are broken unless we realize we are chipped and allow the authenticity of being pots like this to let the the glory of the gospel of christ shine forth we need young people today to stand and be counted for christ we need young people to to shine for him and how's that possible It'll never be possible until we realize I've got this treasure. Until we realize, but but I'm just a clay pot. But he's lifted me. He has washed and cleansed me. He has filled me. He can use me. Oh, oh, isn't that a revelation? Isn't that something wonderful? He can use me. I, I finished this morning with this reference. Turn over there to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look with me at verse 26, isn't it? He says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world. And things which are despised of God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not. To bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Not many wise men. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. They are some. But here's a general rule. 
God chooses the foolish things of the world. And he does it to confound the wise. God chooses the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. 135,000 men, 300 of Gideon's army, impossible, never going to happen. But it did. Because it was in God's plan and purpose to break the pots and to let the light shine. And he used them for his glory. He brought about a victory. And if God can do that for Gideon, God can do it for us. Is he your greatest treasure? Do you realize what you are this morning? Can you see how you can be used? May the Lord bless these few truths to our hearts today.